Hello, my name is Brooke and welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. Hi everyone, I'm Sam. And I'm Kelsey, and we just wanted to take this time to encourage you all to go to lovechapelhill.com to find some resources of how to stay connected during this time. Whether it's for virtual kids, for small groups, for prayer, or social options, we have something for everyone on this site, and it's a great resource to become involved with the community during this time apart. We really miss you all, and hopefully we'll be able to connect again in the future. Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. It's Elena here. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new opportunity for us to get together on Sunday mornings virtually through a watch party hosted by our very own connections team. The watch party is 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and you can join via Zoom and we have an opportunity to worship together, to watch the message together, even to pray together. And if you're so if you're like me and completely miss being in the varsity and seeing everybody on Sunday morning, then join us 10 a.m. on Sundays for the watch party. Hi, Love Chapel Hill family. My name is Rachel Walmer. I have the privilege of helping out with our children's ministry, Quest Kids, and want to invite your kids to join us. Whether your family has been coming to Love Chapel Hill for many years, or you've recently started attending, we'd love to have your kids come hang out with us, learn more about Jesus, and play games at Quest Kids on Sunday mornings. We have a fantastic group of kids and a great team of volunteers. At the moment, we are meeting virtually on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can't ask for better timing because while your kids are having a blast at Quest Kids, you're free to join the watch party. You can find more information on our church website or you can email questkids at lovechapelhill.com. We look forward to having your kids join us. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me, love lifted me. I'll cling in his blood. 
Hey, Love Chapel Hill. We have an exciting announcement to share with you today. Our regathering advisory team has met and they have given us the green light to begin planning for regathering. There are a lot of details to be worked out and all of that will be coming soon as we have a team to plan uh, for that regathering. But we want to let you know that we are moving forward. Yeah, what we do know already is that we'll start with meeting outside. Um, and also as a part of that, we'll keep some of the uh, safety precautions uh, in place to make sure that everyone does feel safe uh, as we gather together. With that, as we do make these plans and um, everything around us is beginning to move forward and open up, we want to encourage you to take this opportunity to get the vaccine. Um, as of April 7th, every person is eligible to get the vaccine. And so if you, there are any barriers for you to getting that, if you need help with transportation or just getting um, signed up, registered to get the vaccine, please let us know. We want to help with that. So as we make this transition, uh, we will be letting you know um, along the way about locations and dates. Um, but we do want to say right now, thank you uh, for everyone who's been a part of this church family, uh, for your patience, for your encouragement, uh, for the way that you have held together as a church family through this time. Uh, thank you for putting others ahead of yourselves and for living out that mission of loving this community with the heart of Jesus. And we're going to need your help going forward. So as we move from a regathering advisory team uh, to a regathering action team, if you want to be a part of that and you want to volunteer uh, to help make this happen, then please reach out to us and let us know. But again, thank you for who you are and for the way that you have led and loved so well through this time. Who do you say Jesus is? What are your expectations of him? Who do you know him to be? Today we find ourselves together in a pivotal moment. It's a pivotal moment for us in the Gospel of Matthew as we are, are making this turn in Scripture. It's also a pivotal moment for us in the church calendar as today is Palm Sunday. And perhaps it's a pivotal moment for you today in your life as well. No matter who you are, where you are coming from, what you have done, where you have been, there is good news for your life today. The creator of the cosmos wants to and is willing to reveal himself to you today. The passages we're going to explore today in Matthew 16 and 17, we're going to find Jesus leading his disciples right up to the gates of hell. And there in the most unlikely of places, we're going to get back-to-back -back revelations of who he is. We'll hear Peter's declaration of Jesus as the Messiah. And then Jesus will unpack that for us and reteach us what it means for him to be the Messiah. And then we will journey high atop the mountain of transfiguration and see the fullness of Jesus' glory revealed. Before we get into that, though, let's do a quick orientation on where we've been in the Gospel of Matthew. A little bit of the context, the who, what, where, and when. 
We've been following this group of 12 hard-headed, curious, but willing and wanting disciples around. Learning early on in this series that uh, they were not chosen by any other rabbi to continue their religious education and their learning. By the world's standards, they are not the best and the brightest. They're following this rabbi who is proclaiming that the kingdom is coming and has now come. And we see the miracles unleashed, the feeding of thousands from just a few loaves and fish. Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Storms being calmed. Lame walking, mute speaking blind seeing, the dead living again. And none of this is cool with the Jewish religious leaders because they did it on the wrong day of the week and their power structures being threatened to the point that they are ready to put an end to all of it, even to the point of murder. And all of this is happening in the context of a land that was once their own that is now under Roman occupation and where the people of Israel are a minority. Now, if you have ever been a refugee or living under foreign rule or occupation by an oppressive government, or you've been a part of a minority population, then you can better relate to what it was like to be Israel in first century. If you haven't been in one of those categories, then like me, you have some work to do. Being in a place of privilege in gender, race, or ethnicity, there is work to do. And it is a constant learning and unlearning, and it takes time. But I want to encourage you to take the time to read, to research, to share in life with someone who has been in a minority for all of their life. People who have been oppressed, take the time. As we continue to hear this first hand account from Matthew, one of the 12 disciples that was with Jesus, I wanna encourage you to read it aloud, to hear it, to see it. I missed this for far too long in my journey the real life of the disciples, that they are not some stoic model of a person on a page or some Sunday school cherubim on a flannel graph, but they are real people living life with ideas, with hopes, with dreams, and many of them that would be shattered. They're trying to make sense of the chaos in the day-to-day world around them. Just like we are trying to make sense of kids who are going hungry, people being oppressed, suffering abuse, gun violence, mass shootings, and coronaviruses that debilitate entire global economies and steal lives. With eyes to see and ears to hear, we can see that the disciples are human 
and encounter the world like us. I know Matt has, has mentioned it before, but I want to encourage you to take a look at a newer series called The Chosen. It is an amazing um, series that is looking at the lives of the disciples and the calling of them to follow Jesus. It is a free app on your phone you can download. And the first season, uh, all eight episodes are there available for free to check out. Season two is on its way and season three is already being funded. It is the, the biggest crowdfunded production that has happened to date. It is absolutely amazing and opened my eyes so much to the real life of the disciples. And I want to encourage you to take a look. So let's dive in here, starting at verse 13 in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel today. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Hmm. But who, how about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be bound, will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Verse 13 contains a question that draws us in, and it can draw us in so quickly and beg for our attention. But we realize that this question is asked in route somewhere. They are on a road having a conversation And they're headed somewhere that they have not been. And just like when you're studying scripture and you come to the word, therefore, you should ask, what's it there for? When you see a location like this that maybe hasn't been mentioned before, there's a location that you should ask, where is that? What is its significance? So Matthew is telling us as they enter Caesarea Philippi that there is something specific about this place that we should know. Some commentators refer to it as Sin City or the Las Vegas of the first century. It's a place where no rabbi in their right mind is taking their disciples. And the disciples thinking as they are headed in, Jesus, were you lost? Uh, Did you need a map? And what is my mother going to think when I tell her where I've been? See, one of the main attractions in Caesarea Philippi is the worship of the Greek god Pan, a god of the goats, dancing goats, and a god of fertility and the underworld. The temple to Pan is built into the side of a mountain, the entrance to a cave that goes back inside the mountain where a cliff drops to an unknown depth. It is assumed to be bottomless and thus this being a gate to Hades, a gate to the underworld. 
To describe the acts of worship and the sacrifices that are taking place there, we would have to check the box explicit when we upload this video. So I'm going to skip that part. But as any good teacher in this, this unlikely uh, place, a teacher asks the question to reveal what he is getting at. And that's where he asks, who do people say the son of man is? Couldn't he have just said, who do people say I am? The son of man language is the name that Jesus most regularly uses for himself. And it is loaded with a background, particularly from the prophecy of Daniel in chapter 7. It's clear that the crowds around are trying to make sense of who this is and what is going on. This kind of power and authority they have not seen before. And so could it perhaps be John the Baptist back from the dead? Or perhaps one of the great prophets, Jeremiah? Elijah. Elijah didn't even die before. He was assumed into heaven as he rode a chariot of fire. And Malachi even says in his prophecy that Elijah will return and restore all things in the day of judgment. While there doesn't seem to be consensus among the crowds of who Jesus is, it is clear that there is something about him that is drawing them in to try and figure it out. So who do you say I am? Jesus asks the disciples, and it must have been a pin drop moment where you could hear nothing but silence. A hush falling over the crowd. What or who do you say Jesus is? Really, if someone asked you today, who is Jesus, what would you say? Take a moment just to reflect on that. Write it down if you want to. The only right answer here is the honest one. Who do you say Jesus is? You can say, I don't know. <laughs> you can say, he is my Lord, my Savior. He is my friend. The disciples all together in the, the person of Peter here, tried to answer this question. And Peter comes with the answer with a lot of baggage to unpack. He is like the spokesperson of the group. Peter seems to get the right answer. But even Jesus says, it didn't come from you. <laughs> and it's going to take the rest of Peter's life to grasp what it meant when he said, you are the Messiah. Son of the living God. The Greek word here, Messiah, literally translated means anointed one. And in Israel history, the anointed one immediately brings the image of a king, especially King David, the greatest king of Israel. And Peter had this idea, which was an idea of the day. It was common to think that the Messiah was going to overthrow the power at hand, and restore Israel to her rightful place. The people of Israel are looking for the one who will rise up from the line of King David. 
to rise up and be an even greater king. One who will come in power to overthrow Rome and reclaim the promised land once and for all. See, nearly 600 years prior to this, warriors and the king of Babylon came and overthrew the last king of Israel. He took their land and all that they had. They carted people away in exile, a land far from their home. And while after 70 years in exile, people were able to start coming back and start rebuilding in this land. They would remain under a foreign rule for most of that time under the Persian Empire and then the Greeks and the Romans. And it's in this context that the expectations of the Messiah come out. This idea comes from the prophet Daniel, who was a prophet during the exile in Babylon. In chapter 7, he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led up into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Peter and the disciples, along with the crowds, had these expectations that the Messiah would be greater than Moses and be in the line of David, that he would rise to power and restore the nation and everyone would live happily ever after. And Jesus affirms Peter's answer that he is the Messiah. So much so that he says, you're right. And you're so right, in fact, that this answer could not have come from flesh. It was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. It wasn't your hours and hours of research and your, your studying of the scriptures. It was given by my heavenly Father. And because of this, I know your name was Simon, but now it's going to be, be Peter. Because Peter means rock. And on this strong foundation, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What's translated here as the gates of Hades or the gates of hell can also mean the power of death. And so to grasp the weight of the, the prophecy of Daniel in this place, saying that this, the power of death cannot overcome and that this will be an everlasting dominion. While also looking from that place and seeing the literal gates of Hades before them, all of it comes to a head. And he says, this will not be destroyed. Built on you, Peter, this will not be overcome. In fact, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This key connection between earth and heaven 
that are so close that whatever Peter is permitting on earth is permitted in heaven. Whatever Peter forbids on earth is forbidden in heaven, this close connection of heaven and earth revealed. And then he says, oh, and don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. What? This is the greatest news that the disciples could possibly have. How are we supposed to keep this news a secret? And Jesus tells them again in a passage that we are going to read in just a moment to keep it a secret. Don't tell anyone. And it's simply because it's not yet time. Any revelation beyond the disciples of this news would accelerate Jesus' ministry and ultimately his death. But there is still work to be done, especially among the disciples. We soon find that Peter and all the other disciples as well, their idea of what the Messiah would do isn't quite right. The expectations what is born out of this 600-year period since the Babylonian exile. What the Messiah meant and what it would do is not going to match up with what Jesus is telling them about the Messiah and ultimately what he will do. In this next passage of Scripture, Matthew 16, 21 through 28, Jesus will bring that corrective word and reveal what it means to be Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus reveals the real deal Messiah, what he means when he says, yes, I am the one. He says, yes, I am the king in the line of David. I'm greater than Moses and the prophets. In fact, I have come to fulfill all of the law given by Moses and all of the prophecy spoken by the prophets. But this goes deeper down and further back than that, than just the exile that you guys brought upon yourselves, than just the journey and the wanderings of out of Egypt as you didn't listen and you didn't trust God. No, I'm the Messiah promised 
to you back when you first rebelled in the garden and sin entered into the world. In Genesis 3, he says, I'm the suffering servant that Isaiah told 800 years ago, even before the exile, where Isaiah said that he was going to be despised and he was rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and he was held in low esteem. Surely he took upon him our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is saying to the disciples, there is a greater rescue plan in place here, fellas. But it means I've got to die and be raised again. And Peter stands up again in that moment as the spokesman for the group. (laughs) I feel like the other disciples are telling Peter, hey, Peter, you got to go try this again. (laughs) I don't think he gets what it means to be Messiah. Peter's saying, whoa, Jesus, you're not going to die. Hold up. This is not how this Messiah thing goes down. You don't understand. But Jesus quickly rebukes Peter, the one who he just called out as the rock on whom the, the foundation of the church is being built, is admonished and even said, get behind me, Satan. The adversary that we think back to when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, one who is causing him to stumble. See, Jesus knows exactly who he is and what he has come to do. And he is revealing that to the disciples and to us. They and we have much to unlearn about the traditional expectation that we've been given about what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah. It's not just Israel that is in need of a Messiah and restoration to their rightful place. It's not just Rome who are the oppressors. It's the whole of creation that needs the Messiah. The one to restore relationship to our creator the true Messiah to overthrow evil, the one who is behind all of the lies and all of the oppression and destruction of every soul. Jesus is saying, I am the one that Isaiah was talking about when he said he would swallow up death. I'm the one David 
is referring to over and over again as his strength and his salvation throughout the Psalms. And not only am I going to go through this, am I going to die and be raised to new life, but anyone who is to come after me, anyone who is to follow me and be a part of this everlasting kingdom is going to have to follow me through that too and take up their own cross to deny themselves and follow me. Jesus is being revealed as the anointed one, the king that they have been waiting for to bring restoration. And the one that is much bigger than Moses or David to bring this bigger rescue plan, not just for Israel, not just for one place and one time, but for all time and for anyone, for you and for me, anyone who would take up their cross and follow in the way of Jesus. The other key revelation for us today happens likely still in sight of Caesarea Philippi, high atop the mountain, Transfiguration Mountain. And this time, it's just the inner circle of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. These are the ones that Jesus just spoke about that said, some of you standing here will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We're about to get to see into his kingdom. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them high up a mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. There's a saying in Celtic Christianity that heaven and earth are just three feet apart. And in the thin spaces it's even closer. The idea of the thin space breaks down this idea that heaven is some far off place and it puts it in a constant reality that is never out of reach. Thin spaces are then where the boundaries of heaven and earth collapse. And I think we've just witnessed the ultimate expression of that. It often brings about more questions than answers, but it is truly unforgettable. Jesus radiating 
light from this place as he was transfigured. It's more than just being transformed. His divinity cannot be contained in this moment. It says his face shone like the sun. I don't know the last time you looked at the sun. I don't recommend it. But I imagine the disciples had a hard time even being able to look at him. The light within him breaking through this temporary vessel of the body. And then Moses and Elijah show up. How did they get there? Who knows? They just appeared. The disciples just recognize them. Moses and Elijah. Jesus doesn't have to introduce them or even point them out. They just knew. And why Moses and Elijah? There's a lot of speculation. But I want to give our friend J.D., J.D. Walt at Seedbed, a word on that. This is from the Daily Text, which is a great way to get into Scripture if you are looking to go deeper. Seedbed.com slash Daily Text. J.D. says, This is the conference of the council of the kingdom of God. Moses represents the law. Elijah reps the prophets. And rather than representing the gospel, Jesus is the gospel in whom the law and prophets are not only fulfilled, but extended into all eternity. Then there are the apostles who will be the church and who represent us. The law and the prophets and the church come face to face with the rock and the sons of thunder, the future of the church. Jesus, God's Messiah, miraculously unites not only divinity and humanity, but heaven and earth, and even the past and the future. In this instance, representatives of the past brought into the presence of the representatives of the future. And for all the purposes together of beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. Peter's response, and I can only imagine all of the things going through his mind in that moment, is this the place that the presence of God is going to dwell from now on? His response is to put up a structure, to put up tents. Jesus, if you're cool with it, I will build a tent for you, for Moses and for Elijah. We will hang out here. But before he could even get the words out, a cloud falls on the mountain, which just like in the days of Moses and the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, or for Elijah, for the days he's taking on the prophet of Baal and God's presence falls. Moses and Elijah had many, many countless thin space encounters. But from the cloud comes the voice, the voice of the Father with these familiar words. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And at the sound of the Father's voice, the disciples fall on their faces in fear. But Jesus is quickly right there to say, get up, don't be afraid. As fast as it all happened, Moses and Elijah were gone in this revelation moment of his glory. 
that the inner circle of the disciples may more fully know who Jesus is and that he can be trusted in what he is going to do and what he is going to go through. Who do you know Jesus to be? Have you experienced any of these thin spaces? In the busyness of our life, it is hard to find those spaces. I long for that. I long for the experience and the revelation like the disciples have here. But we have to make the space for that. Are you longing for revelation of meaning and purpose in your life? Longing to know more of who Jesus is and his revelation for how to live your life. Whether you're a disciple currently following Jesus or you're hanging out in the crowd curious or you've been to, past, or through the gates of hell, Jesus is as close as your next breath. He will reveal himself to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. If you want to know more about following Jesus or taking the next steps to deepen your relationship with him, I want to encourage you to take a moment and let us walk with you. Fill out a connect card. Wherever you are watching this video, there's a link for you to do that. Let us walk with you in this next step, in this next phase of life. From this highest place of Transfiguration Mountain, in the revelation of who Jesus is, we now make the turn toward the cross. In this holy week, we focus on the cross, where all these first century expectations of what the Messiah would do would be shattered. There we find for the disciples an initial gut-level devastation. A moment of darkness comes on Friday. But only a moment. That is then overcome by a light brighter than that of the transfiguration. Bursting forth from the tomb of death comes life. Jesus is not going to, not just going to fulfill all it means to be the Messiah, but he's going to exceed and blow away every expectation as the veil between heaven and earth is torn forever. Oh, yeah.
stand a chance and I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your Oh, and I 
Hi, I'm Bob Stocking. Thanks very much for worshiping with us today. What strikes me about the transfiguration story is that Jesus' disciples want to hang on to what they've experienced. They say to Jesus, let's build some tents for you and Elijah and Moses so we can stay here and keep feeling the awe and joy and wonder we're experiencing. I know how they feel. I love going to the beach. I was there just a couple of weekends ago with my wife, Vicki, and our daughter, Valerie, and our son-in-law, Eddie. When I get to the beach, I find myself wanting to hang on to it, to try to capture it, as if I could put my arms around the sand and the surf, the sky and the sea. But that's crazy. It's futile. Just as it was futile for those disciples to try to hang on to the joy of transfiguration. I think the best we can do is feel those things as fully as we can, and then live our lives transformed by what we've experienced. Today is also Palm Sunday, and I'm imagining that Jesus' followers are feeling great anticipation and excitement as the man they think is going to be their king enters Jerusalem. They might want to hang on to those feelings of excitement, but they can't, and it's just as well. In just a few days, the Romans, whom they thought Jesus was there to free them from, are going to kill Jesus. They can't hang on to those terrible feelings either, though, because on the other side of that cross are great feelings, the greatest joy we've ever known. Whether your Holy Week has happiness or sadness, hope or anxiety, feel those things fully, but don't hang on to them. Because at the end of the path of Holy Week lies the greatest transformation of all, Easter Sunday. Have a blessed Holy Week.